And I, and I found a, a piece where he was like, if you're building social mobile games, I want to hear from you. I might want to invest. Here's my email address. And he responded in like eight minutes and said, I'll give you 250 grand. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Founder Hour. We're here today with Ryan Ozonian, who is the co-founder and founder of several different projects, you know, Cyberdust, Mercury Protocol, and hopefully some other projects that you'll be talking about today. Um, so we're glad to have you on. Thank you. Ryan, I'm going to start off with a rather interesting question, um, and then we'll talk about, you know, your founder story. So I'll give you a second to think about it if it's something that's going to be stumping you. But... If I were to ask you to create any any flavor of a frozen yogurt right now, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> any flavor of a frozen yogurt. Um, okay. Probably lavender. Okay. And the only reason I say that is because I'm obsessed with Japanese culture, and I went up to... Uh, northern Japan up to Sapporo. I traveled north of there um, to where they have the lavender flower fields and they had everything made of lavender. And I, I loved it. Everything was made out of lavender. They actually had a frozen yogurt. Like I don't know if it was yogurt. No, it was ice cream. It wasn't frozen yogurt. And it was really freaking good. So <laughs> lavender frozen yogurt. It's kind of a, maybe a little bit girly, but you know, I love that. that that's, <laughs> it that's sounds the, pretty that's good. The, the first thing that popped into my mind, I guess, the more interesting it thing. Sounds is pretty good to me. Actually, I'm obsessed with Japan. So okay, okay. Well, good to know. Well, Ryan, did you grow up in Los Angeles? I actually grew up about an hour south in uh, in Orange County in a city called Dana Point. Okay. Um, so Dana Point Harbor, a little sailing town. Mm-hmm. Uh, love to go back there. My family's still back there, so. Uh, luckily, it's only an hour drive and go back quite often. So what brought you to L.A.? Um, the first time I came to L.A. was uh, me and my best friend Roy growing up uh, convinced our parents between junior and senior year of high school that we needed to take classes at a, a UCLA summer extension, uh, which was really an opportunity for us to uh, come screw off in L.A. for a summer uh, crazy story. I was 16. I bought a $2 scratch-off lottery ticket uh, right before uh, we we went to the extension program, and I won $16,000 off wow. that $2 scratcher. And we proceeded to blow it all that summer. So we had a lot of fun. You blew uh, it on college courses or you blew it on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely not on college courses. <laughs> Um, anyways, you know, after that, um, I, I love the city and, uh, I applied to three colleges out of high school. Um, those being, uh, USC, NYU and USD. Uh, I got into all three and chose to go with SC. So USC brought me back to LA, uh, graduated from USC with a degree in communications and have been in LA ever since. So what was your vision for college? Like, what did you want to do with your degree in communication? 
Well, originally I got into USC for photography. Um, and, you know, because I'm a creative guy, kind of an artist. And uh, regretfully so, I dropped that major on the first day uh, getting to school and decided to pursue business because I thought that uh, money was super important. I thought the, the way I could make the most money was in business. Um, throughout the last 10 years of my life, I've figured out that it's quite the opposite, that pursuing what you're passionate about and just doing what you like uh, will actually uh, get you to the most successful points in your life, whether it's you know financially or uh, fulfilling you know whatever it is you want to fulfill. Ryan, uh, you mentioned that you know you realize that pursuing your passion is really the way that you should have gone. But I think that it's, I think you figure something like that out after you kind of go through this journey or through this process. So I assume that there was some sort of moment or moments that led you to realize that. But I want to talk a little bit about that journey of, you know, you know, focusing on the money, you know, what was that like? You know, what did you do to pursue in, the, in that case money or, you know, whatever that definition of success was for you at that point in time? Well, like I said, I you know transferred my major to business. Uh, I hate math. I realized I didn't even like what I was doing. Um, I loved writing, so I thought communication and journalism was a good good route to go. Um, I actually enjoyed the comm school. I enjoyed Annenberg at SC, um, and uh, kind of cool that I ended up in a you know in the tech world, working specifically on shaping new ways of communication yeah so so would you have if you had to go back would you have done photography or whatever you're passionate about initially uh yeah i would say yes i i totally would go back i mean i've recently picked it up again and it's, it's been 10 years but i think you know over the course of time you you always kind of come back to what you're good at and what you're what you're talented at, and you find out that, that, that those are the most fulfilling things that you do. So, between you know writing and communication, um, and you know being creative and artistic, those are the things that blend well for me. And I, I focus on on pursuing those talents and seeing what comes of them. So, tell us a little bit about. So, you graduate. Uh, what did you do after college? Um, so after college, like uh, most everyone in college these days, I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. Especially with a comm major. I was, I was yeah. a comm major, so I know what that feels like. Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my natural instincts went towards uh, what, you know, my, my family's been involved with, which is residential real estate. Uh, I was um, trying to do some work for uh, a company called LPS. Um, and I was lender processing services. I was trying to do some, some social media and stuff for them. And uh, I hated it. Um, I wasn't interested in the industry. And, um, you know, I, I just started thinking about, okay, how, how am I going to make a switch? Um, and I just started meeting with people. I just started talking to people about, you know, what I liked, what I wanted to do. And eventually I got uh, paired up uh, playing golf with, a guy in town here, his name's Jim Jonason. Uh, he's one of the top kind of tech connectors in LA. And, you know, we hit it off together, um, just randomly ended up in a cart together golfing. And he said, hey, I, I can help you. You know, what do you like? I said, well, I'm creative. I like uh, 
I like games, I like technology. And he said, well, why don't you try an internship uh, with this guy I know named Walter Driver? Uh, he's making Facebook games. Uh, Walter, of course, went on to start Scopely, which is one of the biggest gaming companies in, in the city. Um, and, you know, he was just a, a three-person shop at that time. And I uh, kind of got mentored by him, learned uh, how to manage a, a small group of developers and designers uh, and work with them. And... Uh, you know, things got kind of kicked off from there in terms of my career. Right. So you start working and is this something that you're enjoying or is it just, does it just feel like a job, just something that you're passing time with instead of actually doing something that you like? No, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the work I was doing. It was a challenge to figure out uh, at the time, like you, ba it was basically the, the early days of figuring out how, a Facebook game could monetize through adding and, and testing new features. So you, you create a feature in your head, which is the creative part. You design it artistically. You program it. You throw it into the wild. You see if it works or doesn't. If it doesn't, you throw it away. If it does, you continue to build on it. Um, and you know that was the strategy to to making a successful game. And and I realized um, when when we were creating those features, one of the biggest rewards and kind of fulfilling factors of all of it was that you and your your head created this this feature and then actually saw people enjoying it and not only are they enjoying it and using it you're making money off of it so uh that was really rewarding and and, and very cool so did you leave scopely to start cyberdust um, well, that company was called, uh, I think, O Negative Media. Walter went on from there and later on started Scopely. But uh, the answer to that is no. Um, uh, mobile games uh, started to get much more popular. The iPhone kind of blew up, and it was obvious that the shift was going to go from you know, online games to mobile gaming. Sorry, what year was this? Around what time was this? Uh, this was around 2012, 13. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I had some of my own ideas for mobile games and, you know, it was the early days. And so I basically went home and just started drawing games on paper, just wireframing, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I just thought in my head, okay, if you, if you can picture this thing in your head, just put it on paper. It doesn't matter if you can program it, you can't design it, doesn't matter. Just at least write the idea down. And actually see out the vision of it, you know, with a pencil and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, pad of paper. Um, so anyways, to, to continue that story, I, I did that. I created, you know, a wireframe for an entire game that I thought would be cool. Uh, I, I loved doing that because I was creating something in my head, visualizing it and putting it on paper. And then I did another one and another one and another one just in my free time. Um, you know, meanwhile, I was kind of dripping through my savings, um, but I thought it might be able to lead somewhere. So I took this packet uh, that I had of just, you know, pencil sketches and wireframes on, you know, printer paper, mm -hmm. and I went back to Jim, who got me the internship at O Negative Media. And I said, hey, Jim, I have all these ideas. I learned how to do this at O Negative. You know, why can't I, you know, if I just get a little bit of seed funding, why can't I do it, you know, on mobile? Right. 
And he said, all right, well, I'm going to connect you with a guy. So again, it goes back to the early connection mm -hmm. of just you know, meeting people and right. getting, putting yourself out there. He connected me with a guy named uh, uh, Corey Jones, who and he connected me with a couple people. Um, but the one that struck was Corey Jones, who met up with me. He was he had sold out of his previous company. He uh, was already building iPad games, and he said, "Hey, kid, I'll take a shot on you. I teach at Otis. I have a bunch of artists. I'll provide you with a little bit of office space because he owned an office building." I'll provide you with some artists. You go find the programmers, and you build one of your games. Mm -hmm. And that's how... Um, so you, and he invested? In yeah, yeah, and he invested... Uh, I think he gave, gave me about 25, 25 grand. Mm -hmm. And I put in the, the last 10 grand I had of my own. So how'd that go? Uh, you know, did you end up creating the games? Uh, what, was, what was it like? Yeah, so what I did was I started the next day in his office. Uh, he provided me with a designer and a little desk like he said he would. Uh, I used as many contacts as I could to find some cheap uh, outsourced development resources that were uh, working on, on iPhone apps, which, you know, at the time there weren't mm -hmm. a, a million of them like there are yeah. today. Uh, I found a good group of guys in Romania, and we proceeded to to actually create uh, the first game. And um, you know, we were successful in taking it from that uh, sketch on printer paper to an actual product on an iPhone. What was the first game that you created? Uh, I think the first game, yeah, the very first game we ever created was called Super Friends. It was a bunch of stick figures uh, hopping around a screen that I think they jumped over uh, little pebbles or something. And, you know, it was very simple. I think there was a, what was that game called or the... That was really popular. The, the bird, the one? bird game, uh, Angry Birds. Angry Birds. No, no. The, the, there was even oh, a, a different one? bird that like goes up hills, flies. Now I totally forget what it's called. Yeah, I'm not was, a big game. Uh, everyone was obsessed yeah. with it. For like, right? <laughs> Is it the one that they ended up like canceling or something? Yeah. Something. I think it was Angry. It might have been Angry Birds, but then there was no, like a second iteration of it. Yeah, you're talking about. Anyways. Yeah. Um, so something like that, but with stick figures and yeah, pebbles. I was way gotcha. before that. It was it was a piece of shit. I mean, it didn't work at all. But I mean, it, the whole entire point of that was pencil, printer, paper, like end product. That process in itself is extreme. Like yeah. especially at the time, it's, it's really hard to complete, mm -hmm. especially with such a small amount of money. And did you even understand the technicalities behind actually coding this game or was it more like you just visualize no, it in your I, head? No, visualize it, write out the, the, as many like the specs as well as I could and yeah. ship it off to them and, you know, stay up, you know, they're in Romania, stay up all night just working with them, twisting and tweaking and, uh, you know, eventually ending up with an end product with a little, a lot of freaking bugs. Yeah. <laughs> what was your goal at the time, though? I mean, was it just, this is what I like to do, so I'm going to do it? Or was it, you know, hopefully this is something that's going to end up, you know, paying my bills and turning into something bigger? Well, I always thought in my head uh, that I could, that it would end up paying my bills and that I could be one of those, you know, uh, freak lottery tickets. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, this simple game will become one of those you know those viral things viral popular right. games ever uh this first one totally didn't <laughs> um but we moved on to the next one we had uh, enough you know cash left to kind of build one more and um ended up 
taking advantage. I had a good idea where you take advantage of uh, social. Uh, Facebook just came out with their like social graph, so you can right. plug into and kind of scrape your friends' data. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea was to create a trivia game, kind of like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, um, where the game would ask you about. It would plug in your friends' names and, and interests and ask you to to pick the right friend uh, for whatever question was being presented. So it would say, like, who went to USC, uh, likes reggae music, and loves to watch horror films? And then it would give you four options. And you Is would, that Ryan Ozonian? <laughs> uh, uh, definitely don't like horror films. <laughs> um, no, but anyways. Uh, so... Yeah, so we create we create that game, Trivia Friends, and it was it was crazy because it, we we launched it and it actually got a little bit of hype uh, in the beginning because you, I created this situation where this game knew everything about you and it freaked you out, but it was so personal that it was cool. Yeah. So some people were like, "Well, how the hell does this thing know everything about me and my friends?" But they were like intrigued. They're like, "Can I mm-hmm. get them all right?" And that that game got a lot of usage, um, you know, uh, early on. You know, we I forget maybe a million, two million users. Um, I mean, that's that's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal for, for yeah for something that was so simple. Yeah, and your second game. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was it was pretty awesome. Um, I didn't make any money, uh, and we tried to monetize it and. It didn't make any money. <laughs> um, was but, it like in in game purchases and advertising? Yeah, we tr- we like tried that? to uh, we tried to get people to I think uh, upgrade to premium to get past a certain level. I think once they got to level six, that we stopped them and said, you know, you want to keep playing, spend a dollar. You know, people, you know, that was difficult <laughs> at the time. The point was, it did. People liked it, so. You know, that was really the jump start to uh, the Cuban connection, to be honest. So, I mean, I'm glad he brought that up because I was going to eventually bring it up. But so for those listening, when he says the Cuban connection, he's talking about Mark Cuban. Um, how did that happen? Yeah, so uh, so like I said, we created this game that got a lot of usage and I'm running out of money and are basically out of money and I'm sitting there and now I'm, you know, looking back at my parents like like yeah, need some help on on rent. They're they're like we will give you a couple months and either either go get a freaking job or you know, move home or do what you got to do, but we're we're just going to float your bills um for you know, an extended period of time. So I had, you know, two or three months to really say, and I, I figured take what you have that was, it, it's not like it was unsuccessful. It was that it just didn't make money. Right. People liked it though. Mm-hmm. So I, I ran around to some, um, some venture funds in LA. Uh, you know, I, I was, you know, taking some, me- I got a couple of people to take meetings and they were like, yeah, kid, cool game, like whatever. And how like, old are you at the time? Uh, I think I was 24. Five at this point. Okay. Yeah, twenty four, twenty five. And, and what was the business name of the uh, Mention Mobile? Mention Mobile. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I got, you know they kind of blew me off. Um, you know, cool game, but I mean, how are you going to make a lot of money? 
you know, why would we invest in just you? You know, a bunch of different stuff. So, you know, I, I actually went back to my desk in my apartment, and I think it was the same night that I got kind of blown off. And, you know, I was persistent, and I think that this is important. Uh, didn't really give up. I just simply Googled, like, who is investing in social mobile gaming? And I was just like, read a lot of stuff. And I came across uh, Mark Cuban's blog, which was uh, blogmaverick.com and still is. And I read a blog post that he had written a year prior to that date. So I, I went back. You went, you went yeah. real deep, yeah. And I, and I found a, a piece where he was like, if you're building social mobile games, I want to hear from you. I might want to invest. Here's my email address. And it just said, you know, his email address. He puts it out there. Um, yeah. You know, by the way, it's amazing the amount of people are like, hey, can I have his email address? It's like, you haven't done any homework. So I shot an email off to him. Uh, I, uh, it probably took me... Sorry to cut you off. That was like perfect. I mean, like the stars just literally aligned. Like what you were creating, he said he was investing in. Like, do you think that, I mean, why do you think that was? Like, was it just, just happened that way? Or did you, did you think, was it like at the time it was a big buzz and people were just No, because like I it? said, he had written that a year prior to yeah. when I discovered it. So I think that, you know, what was important was that I was just persistent. Yeah. Like I, it was kind of like, everyone said, look, don't give up. Uh, I think it's more just like keep reading, keep digging. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a little bit of luck required and a little bit of taking the leap required. Like mm -hmm. most people would read that and say, well, you know, he's whatever. Like would Mark yeah, Cuban. It's Mark Cuban. Would Mark Cuban like, what are the odds he responds, email? right? Yeah, exactly. So did he respond? And they just wouldn't do it. Well, it took me like three hours to write about a four-sentence email because <laughs> I knew that like someone, someone like him is not going to, read something lengthy probably that uh you know some diatribe email pitch and i didn't really kiss any ass i was just like here's who i am here's what i built and i want to build more um and he responded in like eight minutes and Whoa. said i'll give you 250 grand <laughs> and i was like okay this is like a, a spam account. <laughs> this is this isn't this isn't really him. And if he, even if it is, it's someone in his company. Like spamming, like yeah. hacked his email and yeah. like you know, messing like, with him or something. But I was like, no way. Um, and that but, wasn't it. Just said, I'll give you two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, you know, he said, uh, I want to know what your you know what other games are you creating. Uh, I want to know, you know, what your one two-year strategy is uh how do you think you can monetize it how many users do you can think you can get on the next game you know he asked very he, he asked for specifics but uh and this is why i've always loved working with him he was more concerned about like what innovative products are you building not you know how exactly are you going to make dollars mm -hmm. uh you know we that we'll figure it yeah, out we will figure that out um but you know, the, the innovation, uh, I think, was the most important piece at that point. Um, and uh, so the 250 grand came, and we were kind of on our way. And wait, wait, so you emailed him back. You emailed him what he, what he wants to know. <laughs> yeah, we're not, not going to let you slide. He had soft offered you 250000 
How did it become a reality? I mean, did you guys meet in person? Was it just like, yeah, I'm going to invest 250000 What's your bank account? And here you go. Like, what was that process like? No, no, he definitely <laughs> was a little tiny investment for him. Uh, no, we didn't meet in person. Uh, he, just like Venmo that to you. Yeah, right? his guys, you know, he, he has guys that do great due diligence. They did diligence on the small company we had. and Eight it, minutes, know, baby. It's all yeah, <laughs> that, that was a, a little bit of a process in itself. Right. It wasn't a, you know, six-month process, mm-hmm. but it, it, it took a little bit of time. And then... Actually, yeah. And then, yeah, and then the funding was there. And it, it, during that time, we had time to gear up and actually hire um, a couple engineers. Uh, one who is now the still the lead engineer at this company and has been with me the in, through the entire journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So he invests, um, and now you have capital to, you know, runway to release more games is that what you end up doing um what what kind of happened then yeah so our entire goal with that um with that specific amount of funding was to at this time like words with friends was mm-hmm. becoming very popular we wanted to create our own asynchronous uh, back-end system to build multiple games on top of so that people could play multiplayer games uh, without being next to each other just like yeah just like words with friends mm-hmm. or the whole with friends series um, and our first game was called Word Derby. And I came up with this idea that, you know, when you go to the, you know, like Disneyland or mm-hmm. the fair and you squirt the water in the little hole and you see whose horse can make it to the end first. Yeah. Well, I figured like you could build words, you know, like with Scrabble tiles and whoever got the most, po- everyone would get the same set of, you know, I think it was 10 letters. Uh, and whoever could build the best word out of that, their horse based on points would move for forward the first and after 10 rounds uh you know whoever built the best words would win the race and by best you mean like you'd assign a score to the possible words that could have been made yeah just like in yeah just like in scrabble Scrabble, yeah. yeah yeah um so what the cool thing about that idea was that you know like four people could play at once um and you could play with multiple friends and uh instead of just one on one uh, and see each person's horse go down <laughs> down the uh, the track. So uh, you know, we knew at that point that it was tough to to build a large user base. So we went out looking for a publishing partner on that game, and we ended up partnering partnering with Chilingo, uh, who was you know owned by EA, uh, and Chilingo originally did uh, Angry Birds. Um, and we were very excited about that, and it, and it kind of showcased our ability to, like, you know, super friends, trivia friends. Now we're building, like, a serious, serious game that, you know, Chilingo and EA are going to represent and publish. Um, it was just, you know, that was really kind of fulfilling in itself. It's cool that we could get a product to that point. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, we, launched, uh, we launched Word Derby. We were... Uh, at a banner on the front of the app store and uh, got a shit ton of downloads. It was it was cool. A uh, lot of users. Um, again, didn't it, it monetized okay, but not as well as we had hoped. Um, so, uh, but like I said, I mean, just to see it out there in tons of people's hands yeah. and them using it. I mean, I could be the. So, I mean, I was at multiple places whether it's a coffee shop or at dinner or whatever in in LA and I would see people playing it the, the feeling I would get from that was 
was amazing. Yeah. So um, you raise all this money from Mark Cuban, who's a high-profile person, celebrity, investor, businessman, uh, and you're getting some great traction, some great success off of your mobile games. When did you kind of start to transition out of that realm? Like, what what happened with the company mentioned mobile? Did you end up selling it? Did you close it down? What was was that like? So after about, I want to say it was like eight months or a year, maybe a year of Word Derby being out, and we were working on a a new game, and we were almost kind of at the tail end of it. Uh, We were just breaking breaking even on Word Derby, and. You know, we spent spent X to build it, and we were only making X as people were playing it. Uh, and, yeah, breaking even. Mm-hmm. At that time, uh, Mark went uh, just had gone through his battle with the SEC, where they subpoenaed all his texts and emails, kind of took them out of context, uh, used them against him uh, in court. And, you know, he, he wanted to build a uh, very private encrypted uh, messenger in which you know the messages were all passed through through RAM through mm-hmm. volatile memory mm-hmm. um, and then you know would vanish so they would essentially become unrecoverable uh, and he kind of looked to our dev team because we had a, a good small like but very talented group of developers to to just see if we could actually build like a little prototype um, so I got, I got the guys together, um, and luckily, one of the guys on our team, a consultant that we had brought in on to scale uh, Word Derby because we knew we were going to have a lot of usage, actually happened to have expertise in uh, like all-in RAM solutions. So we lucked out, and we were able to take our two uh, top developers, Igor Spitalnik and Rohit Kodian, and they together... Um, were able to develop a prototype of messages that this all-in distributed memory solution where data would pass, you know, from one device through our servers to the to the uh, recipient's device, all in RAM, and then disappear. disappear. So was this happening in tandem with building Mention Mobile? Like you guys were just kind of working on both at the same time? Um, yeah, so we, we kind of halted to build this prototype, and once me and Mark got it in our hands, we, we fell in love with it. We said, this is, this is how communication should be. I mean, it feels natural. I mean, if I'm talking to you on the street and we're having a conversation, no one's recording it. Like, why, why digitally should anybody be recording everything you're saying? Like, why should... Right. Why should Apple or Verizon or AT&T or whoever it is, Facebook, be holding on to your messaging data. Like why, I mean, number what's one. What's the benefit? Yeah. And, and the fact that they could read it at the time, especially, like, that's freaky. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just not right. It's, it's weird. So um, we fell in love with, if, with the idea. Um, uh, Mark had hold, been holding on to a URL uh, since the late 90s called you know, cyberdust.com and we um, we went ahead and named it Cyberdust and we built a uh, a very quick and dirty version of it and we just launched it. We just said, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Let's see how people like it. Ryan, what 
I think I heard was that Mark essentially presented you with this idea and said, can we do this? You know, why did you say yeah? Is it something that you also agreed with in terms of solving that problem? Or was it just, okay, he's Mark Cuban, he is asking me this question, he's asking me for, you know, to join along with the ride, I can't say no. No, it, it was something I wholeheartedly agreed with. Um, me and him would bounce around ideas, you know, weekly, and if not nightly, just, you know, would this be cool to build? Would this be cool to build? And he would say no, or I would say no, and... Um, you know, this, this kind of really struck a chord. It just, it was so simple and made so much sense that it was like, yeah, let's, let's push the button on this. And, and at the time in, in gaming, uh, you know, a lot of the big boys with, you know, tons and tons and hundreds of millions of dollars were the ones kind of sucking up all the, you know, sucking up the market and, you know, the, uh, the Clash of Clans, Candy Crush, you know, the few top dogs at the time. So, you know, it was going to be very hard to to make it. And, and it, this just yeah. made sense. So was that first iteration, and I don't know if it's the same one now, um, was it a substitute to other messaging platforms, or was it something that worked, kind of integrated with it? Like you would use a messaging platform and it would... Yeah, we, I mean, we didn't expect anyone by any means to say like, okay, like replace all your text messaging with our product. But because we know that's just an unrealistic goal. The goal was use this when needed, you know, when you want to have a private discussion. And the hope is that you realize this just makes more sense for all conversations and that you slowly, you know, adopt you know, that mentality. I mean, I can imagine there's a certain level of education that you have to provide to your would-be users because i mean you know everyone obviously knows the myth and it's not a myth at this point it's like you know your conversations are being recorded your texts are being stored somewhere um but it's also the educational aspect but also um it's like getting them to actually believe and trust your company that this is not the way it's going to be with with cyber dust um, the way it's been with other platforms how did you overcome that um yeah that that was that was difficult. Um we we went through multiple security audits that we that we released that kind of proved our technology was what we said it was. Um and uh we had a lot of uh people try try and kind of you know game the system um and just the product in itself proved that you know, just by using it, proved that it, it actually worked. Um, and and we we released you know uh, you know the entire strategy and everything we built on our website and basically said you know here's exactly what Dust does, CyberDust at the time. Um, and so yeah, I mean, there's a certain point where people are still going to be skeptics, but you know, our attitude was kind of okay, you know, prove us wrong. So Ryan, after the the last few years that you started and launched CyberDust, obviously now you said Dust, where is that product now? You know, what is it doing? Is it much different than when it was first introduced to the public? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've gone through um, plenty of uh, different iterations of the product. 
Uh, right now, I would. It's a full on you know communication, private communication platform. Not only can you you know send messages to to one another, but you can also uh, you can also post information uh, publicly publicly on the platform um, that that also uh, disappears after a certain amount of time. Um, so like you can post a tweet, and like after ten days, you can have it. Disappear? Like, is yeah, that yeah. Sim- similar to a tweet. You can post opinions. You can share thoughts. Maybe Donald Trump should be using this application <laughs> so that we could well, stop seeing And what's cool yeah. about that is, is, is that you can reply to those opinions and those replies are private, right? So then you're, you're – if you say, uh, I think guns should be outlawed and uh, on a public post and I reply to that, uh, you'll get that in – in a messaging thread with me and we can discuss it in private, which is, you know, that's pretty cool in itself. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, dust, uh, dust has been going strong for, for a couple of years now. We have, uh, a lot of, uh, great dedicated users and, um, yeah, it's a really cool product. We have, uh, a big update coming out soon for it, uh, that integrates, um, the the new protocol we're working on well i'm glad again that you brought this <laughs> up you're, you're making our lives really easy with all these transitions um but you recently uh started a project called mercury protocol um it's fairly new so why don't you tell us a little bit about that and you know you you did kind of touch upon you know the, the history and the backstory but talk to us a little bit about that and you know what you know people should expect from that of course. So, um, I want to say uh, it was so spring of 2017. Um, we started um, working on uh, a new product called Broadcast, which uh, we haven't released a lot of information about. It's a, a little bit in stealth mode, but uh, it, our hopes is that it, it's a it's a discussion platform that we hope shatters the the echo chambers that currently exist in social media. Um, but uh, you know, we started that project and and we started to think about um, what was becoming popular at the time and is it's exploding now, which is blockchain technology. And we looked at Dust and the the core of this company and said, what have we been about? From the beginning, and and it's privacy, and and it's why can't we have natural communication between me and you? Like I said before, and we looked at blockchain technology and said, like perfect, like blockchain technology allows communication, like it allows for communication to be natural between two people. It allows me to send you a message and say. You know, hey, what's up? And it goes from me to you. There's no middleman. It's decentralized. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's extremely private. Um, so, you know, when we discovered that blockchain technology could work perfectly uh, for what we wanted to build out, we said, okay, we actually want to utilize blockchain technology in all of our products. And we said, well, if we're going to do that, why don't we create... In an open source platform so that all developers can use this. Like, it just makes more sense that, uh, you know, you would decentralize user data and have nobody collecting, 
no one in the middle collecting your information. Um, so we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to focus heavily on the protocol. Um, but in order to do that, we also needed to create a, you know, a tokenized economy around it. And, and this is where, uh, you know, our utility token, uh, the global messaging token kind of came into play. And, uh, you know, the idea is that we're building the future of communication on top of the blockchain, specifically right now, the Ethereum blockchain, um, that decentralizes user data and allows all developers to have a kind of a user growth uh, or, or a user pool that they can all plug into by utilizing the protocol. So even the smallest developers with the best ideas can actually grow in a space where, that now is ruled by the giants like Facebook, Twitter, etc. Even if you have a great idea, it's almost like you get squashed mm -hmm. because you have to develop a user base right. over time. Right. But with the protocol, the users are basically, I mean, to put it in layman's terms, shared across the protocol and the network. So if a small development team has a brilliant idea and they utilize the protocol, they get access to all of the users that are already existing uh, on other you know, protocol-based apps. So explain to us how that would work with the development teams. Like what would they be developing on your platform, which is then built on the blockchain? Uh, any, you know, any application that they want to build or platform that they want to build that, that passes communication data. Hmm. Um, and, and we're going to so help mostly them. mostly anything. Yeah. We're going to help them pass it through the blockchain. Um, so that would essentially mean, and sorry to cut you off, but that would essentially mean like I can create a platform like Twitter on Mercury Protocol. Yes, absolutely. And you can implement a uh, tokenized economy using our utility token, which is... The using that same token. GMT that you were yes. talking about. Right. Yep. And that GMT can then... It's application agnostic. So that GMT that you earn for, like, you basically earn tokens for your attention within the app. So if you log in every day, you get tokens. Okay, then you can utilize those tokens not only in that application, but any application that that has taken advantage of the protocol. Isn't this sort of gamified at this point, which is interesting because it comes back to what, how you started, but it sounds a little bit like, you know, some of the apps that I know at least that are, you know, on the you know, app store, not on the <laughs> blockchain, uh, but, you know, how you build these tokens and then you can use those tokens to purchase something with, or coins or whatever they decide to call it. Am, am I wrong in saying that or is it completely different? Um, there's, there are some elements of that, um, but the, the real, the real reward here is that you're able to, I mean, they're utility tokens. You, you're able to receive them for using the product, which is a reward to the user. And then you're able to, you know, pay the developer with them for premium features, right? When so, the, when the value of the token increases? Um, I mean... Well, yeah, that's kind of besides the point. What, what, what the point is, is that the, the user is incentivized to, to receive tokens and to collect them and to utilize the product uh, more and more. And the developer is incentivized because they're building features and you're, you're able to continuously provide them with, uh, with GMT so that they can basically grow their product. And is, is this something that Mark Cuban is also working along with you, or is this something that is kind of your side project? 
No, I mean, at this point, it's definitely not a side project. Mark is an advisor on, uh, on the Mercury Protocol. Um, he, he's still extremely involved with Dust. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to put the two together and uh, very, very soon here. I mean, it's already in motion. Um, you're going to see the, the protocol uh, showcased in Dust and, you know, you'll be able to use GMT within Dust first. And, um, you know, we, we're already seeing lots of, uh, you know, quite a few development companies interested in, in implementing the protocol. So I think you're going to start seeing through in 2018 quite a few new products coming out with the Mercury protocol implemented. So I'm not a developer. I'm not technical whatsoever. I'm really? assuming a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. And I'm assuming a lot of our listeners, or some of them at least, aren't either. Kind of explain to us in like layman's terms, if you will, uh, how you see the future of blockchain uh, specifically towards what you're building, like communication and decentralizing that aspect of it. Because there's so many things that people are building on it, right? Um how, like it's only correct me if I'm wrong. It's only as good as as the people using it, right? So how do you get someone on a platform like yours versus someone else's? And by someone, I mean a development team who understands the, the technicalities behind it. Um, yeah, I mean it's a big question. I mean, first and foremost, I think you know, blockchain technologies here to stay it just makes more sense it's not going anywhere um there you'll see a lot of different stuff across all different industries utilizing blockchain technology to disrupt uh transactions that are currently you know in the you know happening in the way they happen um i think that over time people will understand and and this is i think less about education and more about like continuous utility people will understand that the value of uh, a tokenized economy in which they're incentivized for their user actions uh, will will be very significant and valuable to them in terms of using you know any application you know they're, they're being instead of their data being like think about the trade-off instead of your data being stolen by you know some giant like Facebook you're actually receiving a reward for using the product and none of your data is being taken away. And you're able to utilize that to gain stuff, premium features, whatever it may be. Um, That's quite a good trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. No one's collecting your data and you're getting things. (laughs) Well, Ryan, I I agree with you, but the only question I have there is that the reason why, you know, the Facebooks, the Googles and, you know, the big, you know, the just vehemoth, you know, companies of the world do that stuff is obviously to make money. In this case, where does that money that would have been made, where does that go? Well, I think at this point we're in the very, very early stages of um, of how this will eventually be monetized. Right. So... Um, it's something that to figure out over the course of time. Right. I'm super excited to see where this goes, but I also want to kind of talk about, and I'm sure when people, you know, Google you, they'll find, you know, the thing I'm about to say is that you were featured on Forbes as 30 under 30 mm-hmm. not too long ago, um, which obviously is amazing. But how did that impact, you know, I guess your profession or your life? I mean, did it did it change much? Was it... 
was it a big deal for you? Um, yeah, I mean, Forbes 30 under 30 is a, is a really cool list to be on. It, um, it, it speaks to the, the, all the hard work and accomplishments and, um, you know, great things you've done. Uh, I think what was more rewarding than the the things that came about from, you know, receiving that award, uh, are, is the fact that, it, well, like I didn't just receive that reward. Like my entire team did that with me, and it was it was really a kind of an award for all of us. Uh, and while I may be the face of it, it was really like you know the twenty guys and girls that did it with me that that it was important to. And I think that the biggest impact it had was internally uh, versus externally for you know for my you know own career or selfish reasons, whatever they may be. Uh, it, it, it was a great morale booster and really was, you know, proof that, you know, we've worked our asses off. We've gone through ups and downs and, um, you know, we, we've made things work and people are noticing. You kind of touched upon the fact that you, you know, are into photography and the creative side. If you had to just let this all go, you know, you had enough money in the world. You, you had it all. You had everything you wanted. But... What what else would you be doing? What would Ryan be doing if he wasn't doing this? If he wasn't building Cyberdust or Mercury Protocol? Traveling. <laughs> to Japan. And, and, uh, yeah, and traveling <laughs> in a certain way. Traveling to gain new experiences. Traveling to to understand other people and how the world works. Not, uh, not jet-setting around and staying at Ritz-Carlton's, but really, you know, traveling to kind of far off places that are fairly you know unknown and just getting to understand other forms of life and uh gaining knowledge and perspective on the fact that there's a massive world out there mm-hmm. that doesn't just exist in this kind of society that we live in and and I think that that perspective is probably the most important thing in in life to be honest totally well ryan uh it's been a great pleasure chatting with you um, yeah thank I you think, i think we can sit here all day and talk about the exciting <laughs> stuff around yeah. blockchain and communication and travel even um so uh yeah i mean as Ness just mentioned uh you know we we are really excited to see how this thing evolves and and becomes you know more and more um just used across uh every every everything in life uh but specifically communication because it's such a big part of people's everyday lives so um again thank you so much for being on the show and uh yeah yeah thank you guys for having me appreciate it of course Thanks for listening to the Founder Hour. If you love what you hear so far, please take a minute to subscribe and rate us in iTunes or the podcast app on your phone. Also, sign up for a newsletter to stay in the loop when new episodes are released, as well as exclusive content and giveaways by going to thefounderhour.com.